Before I get started, I want to thank Stefan for stepping in last week. I was... Nothing like being like, yeah, I'm not going to make it, dude. And uh, he's like, don't worry, we got this. Don't even need you. And uh, he did beautifully. Um, you know, this, uh, this past week, apart from being sick, I had, uh, I had two funerals. I had a funeral for my grandfather and then uh, also a, a funeral for one of my former students who was only 22. And I know that over the, the past couple of years, we've, we've all lost a lot of loved ones. I know even here at St. John's since Christmas, St. John's has had close to 30 funerals. There's just been a lot of, a lot of loss. And there seems to be a lot of senseless loss too across, across our nation. And I'm not gonna get much into that today, but our text today, John 14, well, I have heard John 14, especially the first three verses, read a lot. It's been read at almost every one of the funerals mentioned in the sermon, at least in each and every single one of them. And John 14 is part of Jesus's final discourse, his last talk with his disciples, that the Gospel of John is the only one that gives that. Rather than capturing the Lord's Supper, John gives us this conversation that happens maybe before, maybe after, maybe during the Last Supper. We're not too sure. Immediately following that bit in chapter 13 when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Then he moves into speaking about these things. Kind of like the, uh, the patriarchs like Abram and Isaac and Jacob in the Old Testament who called their children very close to them at the end of their lives, blessed them, gave them things, Jesus here is gathering his disciples and speaking and teaching and promising. And then he prays over them. He doesn't promise them riches or wealth. Instead, he gives them something worth much more. Relationship. And sometimes when we as preachers get up here, we preach to the head, we try to come up with clever stories, funny hooks, and then we break down the text. And that's needed, it helps us follow along, right, as a listener, it explains the text, and there's always a call to respond at the very end of it. And that's needed, but sometimes, and not always, but sometimes then I think we subconsciously think that the word of God is just something we're supposed to learn right here in our heads. But the word of God is so much more than just something we learn. It's transformative, like Stefan spoke about at the beginning of our service. It changes our minds, it changes our hearts, and then it begins to change our hands and what we do with our lives. How does God's word do this? It's, it's because it is the very words of God himself. The God who created everything that is in existence spoke to us through his word. The very word of God who has given us his voice, his truth, so that we would know these are my words. He does not hide himself from us. He does not make himself impossible to be known. He plants his words into our hearts and our minds to bring forth a garden, a garden that will bear fruit by his grace. 
the grace of his word gives us everything we need. And it rests here in our hearts. So this morning I was hoping that we could come to this text today, not with our heads, but with our hearts. I'd like to do as we've done in the past and just enter into the text to really be there, to let ourselves recline at that table with Jesus and hear his words. The words that we'll read today will be familiar. They're mentioned all the time. They're written in stone in our courtyard. But that doesn't make them any less important for our hearts. So if you will, we're there, it's dark, candlelight. Jesus is speaking, he's not loud, but we can hear every word he's saying. We see the table, we see the other disciples sitting there, and our hearts are at rest as we see the love in the Lord's eyes as he looks right at us, as our eyes connect. And he begins by saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. This is an invitation from Jesus that we need to hear all the time. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Right away, Jesus is speaking peace. Right away, he reminds us of the intimacy that we share with him, the closeness. Your Jesus cares for your heart. Your Jesus cares about how you feel. In the very first line of his discourse, we see the self-giving love that comes from Jesus alone. He is here with his own, his disciples. And yet by the power of the word, we are there too. Which means he calls us his own. Each one of us. He cares for our hearts. He knows the worry that is behind the mask, the pretending of everything being okay, and sees right to our hearts and whispers peace. He assures us of who he is and what he has done, done for us. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that? I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Sometimes when we hear this, we only think of death. But remember, we're not waiting till death to have full intimacy with God. We have it now. We have it now. He has come to be with us. That's why we gather around the sacrament. That's why we come to that table with our hands out to receive him. And yes, we'll have, we'll have that at death too. The promises for in life, in death, and beyond. He's speaking to us and reminding us. He's not lying to us. He's not giving us some false hope so that we'll behave a certain way. He is going, he, to prepare a place for us. And he will come back and take us. We will be with him even when we die. We will be with him like the disciples were in that moment, face to face, sitting next to each other. 
And over the next three chapters, Jesus shows them and promises them and us that he has room for us, that he stays with us, that he resides in us, that he intercedes for us. He goes to the Father on our behalf constantly. He does. Jesus. Look at the text and believe. No angel is preparing a place for you. No angel will come to you. There's no making an appointment with Jesus and hoping that in a few days he'll get around to making his way over to you. He prepares. He receives. He gives. And he will be with you. Relationship. He then says, you know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And maybe like me, you know that voice of Thomas. It's one that's weary, one that starts right away in my head, comes out of my mouth very quickly, cuts to the chase, especially when I'm around my loved ones or when I'm exhausted. Lord, I got no idea what you're talking about, and I have no idea why you think I would know that. But before any more complaining or questioning can come, the quiet voice, the calm voice of Jesus speaks not to his head where the question originated but speaks to Thomas's heart and says I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me relationship the disciples and us find ourselves so very often groping around aimlessly, scheming and planning and what-ifing for a path, a truth, a life, and yet right here in front of us and them. He is the way to the Father. He is the way to eternal life. He is the way we must follow. He is the truth. He does not lie. He does not say one thing and then do another. He is the life. He is Jesus, what we are all seeking. So busy trying to find seven habits to learn, nine steps to make, this food to eat, or this product to use. So busy trying to make our truth heard. So busy trying to make sure we don't offend anyone else's truth and that everyone is validated. So busy trying to create a life, earn a life, discredit someone else's life. So busy seeking, going this way and that, all trying to satisfy a troubled heart. And here is the answer. Relationship. Intimate and personal. Costly and challenging, but a relationship between Jesus and us. Relationship. Faith in him is what is required to trust in his truth. The truth that he loves me. The truth that he has forgiven me. To receive the life that he can give. To be born again. Made new. A life so much that he died and came back just to love us. To make it complete. To ensure that there would never be a separation in our relationship with him again. His way is love. His truth is love. His life is love. And all of it wrapped in sacrifice and grace and mercy. Everything that we are looking for, 
that something that will fill us, make us whole, is found in Jesus. And I don't know if I spend enough time thinking about that. I don't spend enough time being covered by his love. Too busy out there trying to make my own bed, spending time looking for what helps my heart today as if like a thousand words or more could do it. Only, only one, Jesus, promises and brings permanent peace in life and in death. Only one promises and brings permanent hope in life and in death. Only one, Jesus, promises and brings real and lasting joy to our heart. Only one can calm the trouble. We come to give our hearts to him. Find the time to just stop and say, Lord Jesus, you are the way. Lord Jesus, you are the truth. Lord Jesus, you are the life. You are my Lord and my God. I want to know you more. And just sit there. Relationship. And he says, if you really know me, you know the Father as well, the creator, the giver. And says, from now on, you do know him. You've even seen him. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough. That's, the, that's that voice again, right? Maybe not right away, but in a few moments, troubled again. Sounds like a reasonable request. Come on, just give me this. That'll be enough. Until the next thing comes along. Jesus says in verse 9, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who sees me, we go to the next slide, Katie. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father, that the Father is in me? These words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. The word of God is the word of the Father that lives in us, found in Jesus. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. By knowing Jesus, we know God. By seeing Jesus, we have seen God. By experiencing Jesus, we have experienced God himself in word and in deed, in way, in truth, and in life. The answer of who is God is shown in Jesus. The answer of am I loved is answered by Jesus. The answer of what happens when I die is shown in the risen Jesus. This is not some far-off concept, some unachievable task. It is a relationship 
And this God desires a relationship with each one of us. Desires to fill our cup, to let us taste and see his strength, his love. This God will die for you and pick up every piece of that broken life with that gentle touch. And when your faith is shaken and your heart is troubled, he comes and stills it. When we experience the death of our loved ones and are overwhelmed by it, he defeats that death. When everything is too much, he looks at us, takes our heart and says, I have overcome the world. I will give you victory because I choose you. I make you mine. Your heart is mine. I am greater. You know this, he says. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And this is where we stop and say, we, we will do greater things? How can it be? What great things could someone like me possibly do? And the answer is relationships. I think that's deep down why John 14 gets really read at funerals. I know it mentions heaven and the place where we will be, but what is the purpose of it all? if it's just some mansion just for ourselves. It's about the relationship. The one we have with Jesus and the ones we have with each other. The very power of God resides in us, not so that we can ask for things, but so that we can love each other deeply, so that we can forgive each other so that we can truly clothe ourselves in compassion and kindness and humility and patience so we can strive for unity and for oneness. The power of God to do great things is within us to help and give and share and speak and sing of the victory that we have been given. Those are great the way of relationships, the way of the heart of Jesus. Spending so much time cleaning the outside, making sure the outside is looking good, making sure and raising our children on the outside, forgetting about the heart. The heart of relationship. What a great and powerful thing to be speaking into one another's and our children's heart. Why put the words of success there? Put the words of God in each other's hearts. You wonder why so many have fallen away and so many get lost and so many find themselves just going through the motions. So many wandering. We have forgotten about the heart and the relationship, the heart of God. 
There is no heaven without Jesus. And what good is heaven without the ones we love? Was the success of this life worth more than eternity with them? Never. Jesus gave his life here so that we could have life with him now and be in relationship with him forevermore. To him, to Jesus, there is nothing more important than your heart to his. And it starts with the deeds that he did to show you that. It continues with the words that he speaks to you daily to you. And the response, the response is the same, my friends. We speak the words back to him in prayer. We cry out in praise. This, your heart, is why you have been drawn here today, to speak back to God what he has spoken to you, to hear his words spoken directly into your heart, to be in relationship with the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. There is nothing else. Heart. The heart of God for you. Amen.